Do you love early intervention, but feel like you need more mentorship and information to thrive in this setting? We're here to provide a safe, inclusive community where we learn from and uplift one another. It's our mission to prepare students and practitioners to be confident and competent working in early intervention. Hi, I'm Amira Johnson. I'm Danielle DiLorenzo. And I'm Sarah Putt. And together, we're the real OTs of early intervention. Hey friends, Amira here. I am so excited for today's solo episode where I'll be talking about the connection between the neonatal intensive care unit, also known as the NICU, and early intervention. I'll be sharing more about my passion for the NICU, my experiences in the NICU during OT school, and ultimately why I decided to pursue the EI setting instead of the NICU. This is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart and one that I haven't really had the chance to share much about. So sit back and relax. Well, unless you're currently driving to your next session, don't do that. But okay, all jokes aside, let's dive into it. So I have always had a passion for working with babies and toddlers. I am a big sister myself, so I really always knew I would do something with children. So initially I was on the path to become a pediatrician, and then I wanted to specialize as a neonatologist. Now, how this came about is pretty funny. I went to one of these super nerdy medical camps in like high school where everybody wanted to be a doctor and we got to shadow and we got to talk to other physicians to find out, you know, what they had specialized and things like that. And that is when I met a neonatologist and I absolutely fell in love with that profession. And I was like, okay, this is a hundred percent what I'm going to do. So I, at the time I was nannying for an occupational therapist. I really didn't know too much about what OT was. Um, and we hadn't really talked about it, but she told me that if, you know, I ever had any questions about what she did to come to her and I was like, okay, cool. But you know, I want to be a neonatologist. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. So <laughs> I was in college and undergraduate studying back in North Carolina and I took chemistry and, you know, they say it's a weed out course and man, they are so correct because I took that course and I was like, okay, well, this is not what I want to spend the rest of, you know, these next <laughs> several years doing. So I was like, okay, well, what the heck am I going to do now? You know, I still knew I wanted to work with kids. I really love the idea of being in medicine. Um, and so that's just what I wanted to do. And I was a psychology, well, actually I was a biology major and then I had switched to psychology and I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, I don't know what I want to do. So I, I reflected back on that conversation with the mom who I was nannying for. And I said, Hey, I know she does something in the medical realm. I really don't know what, let me go back to her. So I was like, Hey, okay. I know I said I was going to be a neonatologist, but actually I hate chemistry and I need something else. So what exactly do you do? And so, oh my goodness, I am so grateful for her. She sat down and she talked to me all about OT. And I was like, wait, this sounds perfect. So she told me about pediatric OT. And then she said, you know, I know you're, you want it to be a neonatologist. Well, did you know they actually have OTs who work in the NICU? And I was like, no way. <laughs> so she opened my eyes about neonatal therapy. Now she did say that it was an emerging practice area. It was highly, highly specialized, very difficult to get into, you know, very difficult to actually get a job in the NICU. And I was like, okay, you know, and at that point it wasn't something I was dead set on, but I just knew that it was something I wanted to keep in the back of my mind. Now, when I talk about my passion for the NICU, and I've, I've said this before on different social media platforms and things like that, but there is a number. There is a number that really represent where's, represents where my passion comes from, and it is 49%. So 49% is the preterm birth rate among Black women is 49% higher 
than the rate among all other women. Now, this is according to the 2019 March of Dimes report card. Um, back in 2018, it was 49%. 2017, it was 49%. 2016, it was 48%. You know, it's it's really this heartbreaking trend that continues to just date further and further back. And what we know, what the research shows us is that the mortality rates, the enrollment in early childhood services, you know, early childhood education, um, Head Start, early intervention, and school performance rates in this community of Black and brown babies are just even more disheartening. And, you know, for me, that's that's the community that I come from, right? As a, as a Black woman, that is my community. And so to know that 49%, I mean, that is a significantly high rate that, you know, these babies are being born preterm. And it's for a whole litany of reasons that unfortunately I cannot get into on this episode today, but um, I've done, you know, a lot of research in this area and it's just, it's a cycle. It's a cycle. And we know that there's a cycle in healthcare, especially in black and brown communities. And that cycle has to be broken. And, you know, in order to change a cycle, you really do have to start at the beginning of it which is why that's why both early intervention and NICU are my passion areas, because I know that, you know, I just, I feel like there's so much that can be done. Um, I know that I am, but one person, but I believe that, you know, the more that we, you know, acknowledge this, this issue, and we're aware of this issue, the more that we can really, really strive to create the change that we want to see. And so for me, that passion lies in wanting to change that number. You know, I don't want that number to continue to, you know, stay where it is or go up and go up over the years. I want to see that number come down. There is no reason that that number should be that high right now. And I just, I just want it to come down. And so that that's really where that passion for me comes from, because like I said, this is my community. So I want to see that changed. And that is why I am excited to be doing this episode, but also just something that, you know, personally on a personal level, this is something that I, I see myself really, really try, trying to enact change specifically in this area. So that is why early intervention and the NICU are my passion areas and why we are going to be talking more about the connection between the NICU and EI in today's episode. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about my own NICU experiences. So I'll start by saying I was in an entry-level OTD program in Boston, Massachusetts, and it was wonderful. So I had a lot of research areas because they kind of just evolved over time. And, you know, anyone who is in master's program, OTD program, you know that research a lot of times, it will just evolve. It will be very different from what it first started as. So when I first started, you know, my first uh, I would say one to two semesters, the research area that I focused on was the effects of the NICU environment on neurobehavioral organization and physiological stability. Now, what this means is basically how are babies in the NICU, you know, taking in all of this sensory stimulation and organizing it within themselves and then having an appropriate uh, reaction or response. And also what is that um, effect on like their, their heart rate, you know, their temperature, their blood pressure, things like that. So the more physiological part of it. So that's kind of what it started as. And then from there, it evolved to babies who are, uh, or were being discharged home from the NICU you with a nasogastric tube. So an NG tube placement is one of the most common procedures performed in the NICU. Um, so I did some studying there to see just kind of, you know, why are they discharged with the NG tubes? What are the implications, especially for feeding and things like that? Now from there, it evolved into working with uh, the intensive feeding program. And I'll talk shortly about exactly where I was, but I was working in an intensive feeding program, which basically looked at, you know, weaning from the tube feeds to oral feeds when they have had a G tube. 
So basically they're discharged from the NICU with an NG tube. They are hopefully and supposed to come off of the NG tube, but something happens and they don't, and they actually have to get a G tube. And then later on, as they get older, you know, we want to take them off of that G tube and get them to take, um, take, uh, food by mouth. So kind of looking at that whole, that whole process. And then the last part of my research area was the impact of caregiver stress after NICU stays. So as you can see, a lot of different things, but I'll tell you, they all ended up intertwining with each other, which is pretty pretty interesting how that happened. For those who are not familiar, there are four levels to the NICU. So there's level one is the well newborn nursery. Level two is the special care nursery. Level three is the neonatal intensive care unit. And then level four is the regional intensive, regional neonatal intensive care unit. Now you could also see these described as uh, level one basic, level two advanced, level three specialized, and then level four would be like the highest level of care. So I primarily spent time in level three and fours, which, you know, is the NICU and is the regional NICU, which are um, pretty, pretty high level, pretty complex cases, just pretty intense, <laughs> pretty intense in general. So, okay. So backing up a little bit. So when I first had heard about neonatal therapy, I knew that I wanted that clinical experience in the NICU as a student. Again, I wasn't dead set on pursuing it, but I was like, you know what? I like this idea because I wanted to be a neonatologist. So I was like, let me see, you know, what is the role of OT in the NICU? Now you can read about something all day, right? It can be in your textbook, but you actually like getting to see it in person is so different. That being said, I did not know how difficult this would be to actually gain any type of clinical experience in the NICU as a student. For my fellow students listening, you probably know if you're going through this right now, trying to get that experience, get your foot in the door. Oh my gosh, it can be so tough. And again, the reason is because, because this population is medically fragile, very complex, you know, it's an advanced practice setting, and it's overall just really tough to get into both as a student and a clinician. But I live by the model that difficult does not mean impossible. And as I'm sure that you guys are learning or that you already know about me, I am almost always up for a challenge. So in my program, the students could actually initiate contact, but it had to be with out-of-state out sites only. Again, I was in Massachusetts, so that meant I could reach out to other hospitals outside of our state. Of course, varies depending on what program that you're in. So I always say, you know, look into it, ask questions, especially during your interview, if you're interested in the NICU at all, because there could be a chance that you could initiate that contact or they could say, absolutely not. <laughs> so this is just one of the things that, you know, you want to have in mind. So I reached out to every NICU rehab department in the U.S. that I could find an email for. I mean, I went on this intense email frenzy because I was determined. I was determined to at least find a place that would allow me to get that experience and that shadowing and, you know, a little bit of hands-on practice, even if it wasn't an exclusive NICU rotation. So I was placed at Houston Methodist Hospital and Texas Children's Hospital in both of them in Houston, Texas for my level two uh, fieldwork rotations. Now, both places were actually open to NICU shadowing, which was great. Texas Children's Hospital, though, they actually had an exclusive NICU rotation, but of course, the year I was going, they were going to be not offering it anymore. Now, I kind of have my theories as to why, but I think one of the reasons, you know, just talking to different therapists is that when you are in the NICU as a student, you are gaining, obviously, skills, but they're so highly complex and specialized that they don't quite generalize to, like, other, uh, other settings and things like that, and because in the NICU, it's so so difficult to get a position, you know, after you graduate. Now, 
I don't know, Texas Children's never actually told me why they had stopped offering that exclusive rotation, but that was one of the reasons that, you know, a couple of other therapists said that they don't offer that rotation is because it is an advanced practice setting. But it was okay because I was like, hey, you guys will at least let me, (laughs) you were at least open to shadowing and my CI fully supported my interest. In fact, she also was interested in the NICU herself. So she was like, okay, we can definitely, you know, get you some shadow time. So she actually had a PT friend who was in the NICU. And so I would be able to go and shadow. And now this was very, very critical in me choosing EI instead of being in the NICU, having these NICU experiences. Okay. So I don't want you to forget this is all building up and I say building up, right? It's like so exciting. (laughs) So it's all leading up to me talking about why I ended up going into EI instead of the NICU and what that connection was. Okay. So my capstone project was completed at Seattle Children's Hospital. And uh, like I said, the first about year of my program, I was working on my research was called the effectiveness of sensory based interventions on infants and and the neonatal intensive care unit. But when I started talking to my mentor at Seattle Children's Hospital, which by the way, is uh, was Lynn Wolf, who is, oh my goodness, so amazing. She is a pioneer in the neonatal therapy world. And I am so, so, um, you know, honored that I had the chance to get to work under her and, you know, to get to observe under her. And I just learned so, so much from Lynn. So anyways, I was talking to um, Lynn about my, my research, but they had already chosen a few topics for the perspective OTD student, which of course was me. So the topics that we talked about were positioning wedges for babies with reflux, nasogastric tube home use, and uh, thickeners. So I scrapped that first project and started working on project number two, which was complications of nasogastric tube tube home use in infants discharged from the NICU. I was really, really excited about this one. Um, I did a lot of research on, again, you know, the NG tube procedure, you know, how comfortable did the parents feel with being discharged home? What were the best practices? What were other hospitals doing? You know, what were the complications and how could we avoid those and how, uh, how going home with the NG tube also had an effect on feeding. I started that research and everything and Long story short, we actually switched to um, something else, which uh, was part of the pediatric intensive feeding program. And I was introduced, you know, to that program. And then we talked through a a new project that I would be on, which was called Win to Wean, a review of outcomes for the pediatric intensive feeding program. So I did go through three capstone changes and of course, three 20 plus page papers, which that's always fun, (laughs) but they were all interconnected with a NICU foundation. In the NICU, you know, some of the main things that I did my research on was, uh, you heard me use the term earlier, neurobehavioral organization, which is just so necessary for participation in those occupations that happen in the NICU, you know, feeding and rest and social interaction with caregiver. So again, how those babies are taking in that sensory information in the environment and how they are organizing it and, you know, developing an appropriate response. Now, infants in the NICU typically have um, difficulty with this because a lot of times they are premature, not always. In fact, you know, a lot of times when we have this image of the NICU, we think of like the baby in the palm of the hand. And that is that that can be true, but there are also a lot of full-term babies who just have, you know, something complex going on at birth. So, but anyways, the premature babies, th- that was my area of research. So I looked a lot at preemies who were in the NICU and they, you know, have this underdeveloped nervous system and they have a lower threshold for that sensory stimulation. So we talked a lot about, or not, we talked a lot about, but I did a lot of my research and just understanding that NICU environment and understanding how, you know, I call it a very all or nothing environment. 
moment in the sense that, you know, there's either too much stimulation or there's not enough stimulation. I mean, just the noise levels in the NICU are, you know, way above, you know, what they should be. And, um, you know, they exceed these really high decibels and there's really nothing that they can do about it because all of the equipment that they have in the NICU is, helping that baby to grow and to, and to develop and to thrive and survive. Right. So it's not like we can just decrease everything that's happening in there, but to understand just how this overload of sensory input really leads to this lack of that neurobehavioral organization. And, you know, these babies oftentimes having these really unhealthy stress responses and things and how, you know, that stress in the beginning of their life that really can carry on and carry on. Um, and, you know, babies' brains when they're in the NICU, whether they are premature or whether they're born full term, they're still developing, right? Their brains are just so much more sensitive to what's happening. And so I looked at the, the environment and basically how all of that has a long-term effect. Now, what's, what was interesting is some of the studies I read talked about how these really long and difficult hospital, hospital experiences with uh, neonates have been shown to have detrimental effects on perceptual, motor, language, emotional development. Uh, I read that preterm infants are at a higher risk of poor neurodevelopmental outcomes, including cognitive, motor, language, social communication, uh, behavioral impairments that can extend well into childhood. So, you know, just, uh, the sensory modulation difficulties, of course, lead to difficulties with, you know, emotional regulation and attention. And at the end of the day, that can impact that child's ability to engage in everyday tasks, right? Which leads me to talking about what is it that we do in early intervention, right? We address those occupations and we address what are those underlying reasons that those babies are not able to do what their little bodies are supposed to be doing, right? So, a lot of times when these babies come out of the, the NICU, they're having these difficulties as a result of that environment. And that leads me to that connection, right, between the NICU and early intervention, because now that I have that understanding of the environment and just how it truly, truly impacts those babies and, you know, sensory processing disorder. We see a lot of in early intervention. And a lot of times those are babies who have spent some amount of time in the NICU, whether it is two hours, two days, two months. I mean, it doesn't matter because it's so, like I said, all or nothing, right? It's either so much sensory stimulation or it's not enough. Either way, either way that you swing it, <laughs> they don't have the appropriate amount of sensory stimulation, which leads to, like I said, all of those different difficulties and things that research is telling us. That really kind of, uh, that gave me that basis for thinking about maybe early intervention is actually the place I want to be because now I understand this environment and I understand how it is going to impact not only that baby, but that whole family, that whole family. You know, when you're in an early intervention, the whole family is your client and absolutely families are impacted by those NICU stays, especially longer NICU stays when, you know, moms aren't able to be there. You know, they're not able to um, do that bonding and attachment that, you know, a baby who's not in the NICU would be able to do. And so when, when those moms and dads and caregivers are transitioning from the NICU to home, it can be a scary time. It can be a time that feels very overwhelming. And, you know, you're, you're just, you go from having that safety of being in the hospital to all of a sudden being home by yourself. Right. And so when I was in the NICU with those shadowing experiences, I really got to see that firsthand. And that's when something kind of shifted in me. And I was like, 
I think I'm actually meant to be supporting these families in a different way. And that's when I started to really, really consider early intervention. So that, that brings me to my last and final kind of thing I wanted to touch on today is really why I decided to pursue early intervention instead. Now, one of the reasons just to be hundred percent Frank is because getting a a job, you know, after you graduate, you you want to get a job, right? So getting a job in the NICU is actually quite difficult. So I knew that I was going to have a really, really tough time getting into the NICU. And I was like, well, you know, what else, what else could I do? Um, so after I, you know, did all this research on the NICU, I spent time in the NICU for my doctoral research project. I really decided, you know, it's going to be really tough in the NICU. So what else can I do, right? How else can I support these families? And that's when I decided I wanted to work with those families discharged from the NICU because I had learned so much about the effects of the NICU on their development, especially sensory and of course feeding, you know, because a, a lot of the research that I do also surrounded feeding. And that's what led me to pursuing early intervention. And so again, going back to my passion being that 49%, right? The, the preterm birth rate among black women like myself is 49% higher than the rate among all other women. So knowing that it doesn't matter where I am, I just want to support those families. I just want to support those black and brown babies who are being born at a significantly higher rate preterm and knowing the effects of prematurity as well as having that NICU stay. And that that's what I wanted to do. And I realized I didn't have to be in the NICU for that because I could still do that in early intervention. So that is why I decided to go into EI instead. Not to say I'll never be in the NICU because who knows, you know, you just never know. So maybe one day, but right now I love it. And, you know, a lot of the kiddos on my caseload, they have had NICU stays. And, you know, I've had ones as young as like, four, five weeks old who are coming out of the NICU and being able to support that family through that transition and also having that foundational knowledge of like knowing what to look out for, using those sensory strategies. Um, all of that has been just so, so uh, instrumental in my ability to support and to serve these families. So today we talked all about the relationship between the NICU and early intervention. There are so many connections between what happens in the NICU and what happens in early intervention, especially since it is likely that some of the families you work with will have had an experience in the NICU. So whether your ultimate dream is to work in the NICU or you're thinking you'll stay in EI, it is still beneficial to have some background knowledge about what happens in the NICU and more importantly, how it's connected to EI. Now, I've shared my thoughts and experiences, but now I want to hear from you. How do you feel about the connection between the NICU and EI? Let us know by reaching out on Instagram at the Real OTs of EI or on our website, therealots.com. We're so excited you joined us today. Check out our website, therealots.com, for more information about anything discussed in the episode. And sign up for our email list so you don't miss out on any of our awesome EI resources. And join our amazing community of students and practitioners to get your questions answered and learn from others working in early intervention. Whether you're in the car, on your lunch break, or signing in to your next virtual session, thanks for keeping it real with the real OTs of early intervention.